I'm going to roll right into the sermon. Uh, if you're just joining us, for the past several weeks, we've been in a sermon series titled Big Happy Family, and we've been talking about what it means to be a, uh, for a church to be a spiritual family. And we know it's not always easy or happy, but community and relationships are one of the primary ways that God heals and transforms and saves us. And in almost every sermon I've preached in this series, I've shared these words from Psalm 68. God sets the lonely in families. And this is good news because over the past few decades, American society has been suffering an epidemic of loneliness. And I've shared some of these statistics before, but they're worth uh, the reminder. Loneliness is literally killing us. Uh, in addition to higher rates of depression and suicide, lonely people have a 26% higher risk of dying from high blood pressure and heart disease. Uh, health experts say loneliness is as damaging as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. <clears throat> and this is a big problem because nearly half of all Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One out of five Americans say they don't have a single person they feel like they can talk to. Nearly seven in 10 millennials and eight in 10 Gen Zers report being lonely. It's kind of tragic. 22% of millennials said they had zero friends. And Gen Z, which some of you are, is already being called the loneliest generation. So on social media, it might look like everyone else is having a great time with great friends all the time, but according to actual research, we know it's just not true. What most of us don't realize is that this is a relatively new problem. Throughout history, the vast majority of people who ever lived, lived in small agrarian communities. They lived with the same people their entire lives within a relatively small geographic area. So in other words, deep, stable, intergenerational relationships were just a given. It's a normal part of life. But that is not our normal part of life. With the advent of larger cities and advances in transportation, starting around the 1950s, more and more people left their farms and moved to urban areas. And the creation of suburbs, which were designed with isolation in mind, made things even worse. And so, here and now, the fact that you are in this room probably means that you are part of one of the most transient societies in the history of the world. So, just by a show of hands, how many of you have lived in more than one country in your life? Right? Quite a number of you. How many of you have lived in more than one state? How many of you have left family or friends at some time in your life, whether for school or work or some other reason, to start over in a new place, a new school, or a new church? So leaving one place for another can be a tremendous opportunity for self-discovery and growth, but it can also severely hinder our relationships. It could be like you're building a tower of blocks and then somebody just comes and kicks the bottom out from under it and you have to pick up the pieces and you have to start all over again. 
But we tend to just take for granted that this is the way things are for this upwardly mobile lifestyle. We work long hours, we go wherever the next best opportunity lies, we settle for superficial relationships or just staying connected to old friends online. And we wonder why we feel so empty and alone. What all this means is that if you feel lonely, you are not alone. When it comes to forming deep, meaningful relationships, it seems like the odds are stacked against us. We are more busy, more isolated, more distracted, more disconnected from one another than at any other time in history. We are facing this crisis of connection. And what we may not realize is this is all new territory. So you are not weird. Well, you might be weird for a different reason, but for not this. You're not weird for feeling like relationships are hard. There's nothing wrong with you for feeling like it's hard to connect deeply with people. It is hard. I also, we want to acknowledge how hard it is to maintain friendships when people transition from one life stage to another. Right? How many of you had a close friend, and then they got married, and then you never saw them again? Or your friends had a baby, and then poof, gone. I know that must, be, must have been really hard for you, but trust me, it's hard for them too. That change, that transition, can be traumatic for some people. They need to reorder and rearrange their entire lives and figure out how to do relationships all over again, right, and start over. There's a meme that says, the biggest miracle Jesus ever pulled off was having 12 close friends in his 30s. Well, I'm in my late 40s now, and the struggle is real. So this is not just a matter of not having enough people to hang out and play board games with. As humans, we have a fundamental need to be seen, known, and loved. We're made for relationships. And how can we experience that when we don't have relationships that last long enough to even get there? We need people we trust enough to speak into our lives when we need some honest perspective. We need people who are there for us when we face hardship and tragedy and loss. You know, there are millions of people with no social safety net. They have no one they can turn to for help in an, in an emergency. And this is not how any of us were meant to live. So throughout this sermon series, we've been talking all about what it means to be a spiritual family. And hopefully you've heard some inspiring things. Today, for the final message in this series, I want to get down to the practical nuts and bolts of it. I want to talk about how to do relationships, because more likely than not, you're bad at them. So am I, so it's okay, we're all in the same boat. Just this week, I had a conversation with a young adult here, and he was sharing about how he was having trouble feeling connected. He said he knew a lot of people, but didn't have many deep relationships. I also heard a married couple share about how they didn't feel like they had any place to belong here. I heard a parent express his longing to find the kind of community where people just have each other's backs. I think we all want these things. So I'm hoping I can offer some help, 
So this is going to not sound like a typical sermon. It's going to sound a little bit more like a, a workshop or a seminar. Uh, but we are going to look at Scripture. We're going to glean some wisdom from Acts chapter 2, uh, where we see the very beginnings of Christian community. If, you've known, if you know me, you know this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I think there's just so much in here. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, so you can follow along. They, these early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sign me up, right? It sounds incredible. It's clear that when the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers at Pentecost earlier in this chapter, it was the beginning of something powerful. So powerful that they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily. God was knitting together a new family. Not by blood, but by spirit. And yes, there were many signs and wonders, but what re really amazes me about this is that there was also incredible generosity and mutual aid. Verses 44 and 45, it says... All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In our individualistic culture, that just sounds crazy, right? It sounds radical. I mean, can you imagine a group of people living like this today? Of course you can. People do it all the time. It's called being a family. And in the immortal words of Dominic Toretto from the Fast and Furious movie franchise, nothing is stronger than family. I know, that's silly. Sorry. But how do we get there? How do we find people to be family with? How do we go from being all alone in a new city to finding deep spiritual friendships and belonging. Wouldn't we like to know? Let's look at verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. First, we see that they met together every day. And so clearly, time and consistency play a big part in our ability to form deep relationships. That is just a no-brainer, right? It's why we often make some of the, our most enduring friendships when we're in college, because you're literally living with your friends. But we all know, I hope you know, it's kind of a bubble. Things get much harder once you start you know, working full-time and living on your own. So the first challenge is simply carving out consistent time when you can be with others. And this is where finding a spiritual community like a church can offer a huge advantage. It's a structured time every week to be with others. It's this container for relationships. 
Also in verse 46, we see that the believers met in the temple courts. And so they weren't just keeping to themselves. They were out in public. The temple would have had thousands of people coming for prayers, but also to socialize and even conduct business. This is where you would bump into a neighbor or say hello to the shopkeeper down the street or take part in a, in a public debate about some issue of the day. But we also see that the believers weren't just dispersed into the crowd. They were also together in the midst of that crowd. They were probably a pretty large group that met together as followers of Jesus, which made them a, a distinguishable, distinguishable group from all the rest. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together. This larger group would break down into smaller communities that fit in homes. And just to be clear, these are not nuclear family-sized homes with a mom, dad, and 2.5 kids. We're talking an ancient, you know, Near Eastern home, which would have had up to a few dozen household members of all ages and generations. Think more like a family reunion every day. And within these smaller communities, we can just assume that there were people who shared closer relationships with one another, um, like the disciples Peter, James, and John, you know, besties. And the reason I'm pointing all of this out to you is that in this one little verse, we see many different types of relationships, like a family. And perhaps it suggests to us that we, too, may need many different types of relationships in order to flourish. So I'm going to introduce you to a framework we used to talk about often at my former church. It is not mine, so I have to give credit where credit is due. I first learned all of this uh, from my colleague in ministry. Uh, but I've seen it shown up, show up in other books and resources and other spaces. And so this framework actually became one of the principles, key, pivotal principles that shaped our entire strategy as a church. Okay, I'm sharing with you today. You won't find any of this in the Bible, at least not directly. Uh, it's the work of psychologists and sociologists. Uh, but like all science, I believe if it's true, it comes from God. We're just discovering and understanding the way God designed things to be, and in this case, human relationships. And so this has been a huge help to me in understanding how relationships work. I'm hoping it's going to be helpful to you, too. So I'm going to show you some diagrams. These concentric circles represent the social walls we use to protect ourselves emotionally from others. Or another term we might use is boundaries. That center dot is you, the self. And the circles represent different levels of intimacy that we experience in relationships. Or in other words, how much of our hearts we might give to others. How vulnerable we're willing to be. And each of these rings only have room for a certain amount of people in them. So imagine that these dots in the rings represent people. Uh, the outer rings can clearly fit more dots than the smaller rings on the inside. And don't bother counting the dots. It's just for illustri illustrative purposes. Uh, I'm also sorry to anyone who has, like, trypophobia. I know it's a little, you know. Each ring represents a different type of relationship. Or level of close... By the way, never Google trypophobia. Okay. 
Just ask somebody what it means. Uh, each ring represents a different type of relationship or a level of closeness that we might have with people. And so the first level or that outer ring is what we call public relationships. And this is the most casual level of relationships. It's the farthest from the center, right? It's people you might consider acquaintances. The intimacy level is very low. There's very little self-disclosure. You might not even know the most basic information about each other, but you know who they are. But you are not at all close. You may or may not even know their name, but you'll say hi. You'll smile when you see them. One of uh, my first weeks here, someone who went to the same high school as I did in Korea came up and introduced herself to me. And we just met, but I, there was an instant connection. Right? We just entered each other's outer circle. Outer circle. The circle, outer circle, doesn't really have a size limit. It could be Americans. You know, when you're traveling, you see another American, and you're like, whoo, is that a good thing? I'm not sure. Anyway, you know, you know, it could be a Patriots fans, you know, Red Sox Nation, BTS Army, or all the people who work at your company, right? Uh, my sons go to BC, so now every time I see a BC decal on someone's car, I feel this slight affinity. You know, if you, you want to merge into my lane, I'm like, go right ahead, sir. You know? <laughs> the, the second level... The next tier, that next ring represents our social relationships. It's the group of people you actually do know and can call friends. But you probably don't know their deepest secrets or innermost thoughts and feelings. These are people you can invite to go hang out you know, without it being awkward. It's people you might invite if you were to throw at a party. Right? It's the cornerstone young adult ministry or college ministry or, or, or club at school. And so this circle actually does have a size limit uh, that varies depending on the person. Uh, one anthropologist suggested that our brains can usually only maintain about 150, give or take, real relationships at any given time. It's called the Dunbar number. You can Google that. Uh, and it might explain why the vast majority of churches tend to be smaller than 100, 150 people. As the rings get closer towards the center, the less room there is, and the closer we get in relationship. The third layer is our personal relationships. These are what you might consider your close friends. It's the people you spend the most time with, your friend group or church small group. You can be vulnerable with them because you've taken the time to build trust. You know them, and they know you. You can probably rely on some of these people in times of difficulty. They might bring you soup when you're sick, or offer to help you move, or pick you up from the airport. This circle is probably limited to about 15 people, maybe 20 if you push it. And the fourth layer is the smallest circle, with only enough room for two or three people at most. And these are your intimate relationships. It might be your best friend, a spouse, or a parent, or a prayer partner. It's the person you trust to hold your most personal and vulnerable moments. Hopefully, it's someone you can let your guard down with and truly be yourself around. And these numbers are not hard limits, depending on culture and personality, like whether we're introverted or extroverted, we might have capacity for, you know, 
less or more people in each circle. But the general principle is this. We relate to people in each circle differently. It would be inappropriate for me to pour my heart and soul out to someone I just sat next to at a basketball game, right? That's called oversharing. But it would also be rather unideal if all I ever talked about with my wife was just basketball. That would be undersharing. The goal is to have the kind of vulnerability and self-disclosure that is appropriate for the type of relationship it is. This framework uh, can also help us realize there are limits to the kinds of relationships we can maintain at any given time. The more intimate the relationship, the fewer the people, right? You can only have so many best friends and only one spouse, right? Intimacy requires us to invest deeply in a few relationships rather than spread ourselves out over too many. That's because deeper relationships simply require more time and effort to maintain than relationships in the outer rings. Interestingly, we even see these different relational circles in the life of Jesus. Uh, we see Jesus surrounded by large crowds, but he gave special attention to a medium-sized group of 72 disciples. And we see him spending the most time with his 12 disciples, his closest friends. And then even within that close-knit group of friends, he had his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, who he depended on in his most vulnerable moments. And there were also moments when Jesus needed some alone time with God. There's that dot at the center where we were known only by God in our deepest self. In fact, God knows us better than we know ourselves. So even with all the crowds, uh, the 72, the 12, and the three closest to him, Jesus also needed a one-on-one intimate connection with God, just like we do. And so we need all different kinds of relationships to feel fulfilled and less lonely. If you have public and social relationships, and you're married, you have a spouse, but you don't have a consistent group of friends you can call up anytime you're going to feel like something's missing. You might feel lonely. Or you might have a ton of friends. You're the life of the party. But you're not very good at intimate relationships. You don't have someone you can be real with or confide in. You might feel like something's missing. You might feel lonely. I've heard many married couples talk about how isolating and alone they feel because it's hard to find personal social friendships. I've heard many singles talk about how lonely they feel even though they're surrounded by friends every weekend. And so the single person will look at the married couple and think, oh, you're so lucky. You have each other. And the married couple will look at the single person and think, you're so lucky. You have friends. As you look at this graphic, which kinds of relationships are you strong in? And which kinds of relationships are you lacking? When it was time uh, for me to step down from my position uh, at my former church, I lost a lot of relationships. Public, gone. Social, gone. Even the close personal relationships of you know, being with staff, gone. And uh, at first, it was okay. 
It, it was right when COVID was shutting everything down anyway, so everyone was isolated. And you know, we got to enjoy some ni nice, sweet family time together. But after a while, I realized I was lonely. So I thought of these circles. And I began proactively starting to fill them up again, all these empty circles. Uh, we became part of a house church community. I invited people I knew over for a potluck. I reached out to a friend to hang out. And things are better now. But this framework can help us identify what we're missing and give us a strategy for what steps we can take. So the most important thing to understand about these circles is that they are permeable. They're not static. Throughout our lives, relationships change, dots move closer to the center and farther away from the center. Some relationships grow and some don't, and that's okay. And hopefully our most intimate relationships will be the most enduring and reliable, but even those sometimes change. And so the first thing we want to do is identify which circle or kind of relationship we might be lacking in. And then the way to fill a circle is by looking at the next outer ring. So in other words, if you, if you need more close friends or, or personal relationships, then Look to your social ones. Is there someone you feel drawn to or you might have a lot in common with? Make a bid for connection. Right? Invite them to hang out or go do something. Try to find ways to spend more time with them. And then see if they reciprocate. If they do, the feeling is mutual. If you both continue to investing in that relationship, you might move them into the next inner circle and consider them a close, personal friend, right? And this part's really important. If they don't reciprocate, that's okay. Just pull back, give them space. Maybe you just keep them in the social circle for a while longer. Maybe they just don't have the capacity for a new friendship at the moment. You can still be friends, but this way you don't expose yourself too vulnerably or infringe on someone else's boundaries. Just keep it casual. Who knows, maybe down the road, the friendship might develop differently. So obviously, no one can teach you everything about how to do relationship you know, well, and there's no one right way. Sometimes relationships take a lot of time, and other times you might hit it off right away. You know, there's a chemistry, right? And you just become instant best friends. We mostly have to just practice and try things, and, do our best with what we've got. But I'm hoping that this might give us a bit of insight into why we might feel lonely, even though we're surrounded by people, and most importantly, what we might be able to do about it. And so what does this have to do with church? All relationships require some kind of container for them to thrive. And in a society where so many are having difficulty finding connection, that is what a church can be, a relational container. Just by showing up on Sunday or being a cornerstonian, is that what you call you? Corner, cornerstoner? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Just by showing up, you have a large public community you can belong to. 
by being part of one of the life stage communities, college, young adult, or couples and families. You have a medium-sized social community where you can actually get to know people better. By joining a small group, or what we call community groups, or CGs here, you might find a small personal community you can share more of your life with. And each of these different size spaces serves an important and distinct function to help create community. With time and intention, as you navigate these spaces, you might be able to find people who can be family to you. Unfortunately, Cornerstone does not yet program or arrange intimate relationships for you. Uh, you're on your own for that one. I also want to acknowledge that not all of you may get all of your relational needs met here at this church. Right? You might have other friends and communities you're a part of. And that is totally cool. You know? This isn't a cult. At least I don't think we are, right, Danny? We're not. A... Yeah, okay, good. I just want to encourage us all to be thoughtful and intentional about which relationships we want to invest in, wherever, wherever they, they may be. And there's one more kind of relationship that this framework does not address. And it's really important to becoming a spiritual family. When you think of a family, you usually don't think of a group of people who are all the same age. Right? That could be a family, but it's not a very complete one. Right? That's more like Lord of the Flies, right? right? I've heard some Cornerstone people who've said that this is the first church that they've been in where there are so many people their own age. And I know like, that can be amazing you know, to have so many pe peers that you can, relate, you can relate to. And you can make some really wonderful lifelong friends here. Yet, at the same time, there could also be something lost or missing in that as well. When I was in college, uh, the first person I truly admired and considered a mentor uh, was, was someone named Pastor Gary. And he is someone who profoundly shaped who I am today. He cared for me and invited me into his life. And throughout the years, I've also had many other people who have poured into, into me over the years. And even now, I have several people in my life whom I turn to regularly for counsel and wisdom. And believe it or not, there are people who come to me for counsel and wisdom once in a while. I know, weird, right? Uh, I've actually mentored countless people over the years. And most of the time, I feel like I benefited more from those relationships than, than the people being mentored. My point is that we all need people in our lives who are a little further along in the journey than us. And people we might be able to encourage and help along because we've been there before. We need peers, but we also need elders. Quote, unquote. People who can disciple and pour into us. We also need people we can disciple and pour into as well. That's how a family actually works. And there's a lot more that can be said about this, but for now, I'm just going to ask first, who in your life can you learn from? Who in your life can you learn from? It doesn't even have to be someone much older than you because I believe everyone has something to teach. And second, who in your life can learn from you? Who in your life can learn from you? 
And then how can you invest in those relationships? How can you make space and time for those kinds of relationships? You might want to be intentional about pursuing some kind of discipling or mentoring relationship. Uh, my only advice to you is to make sure it's reciprocal. Don't just go to someone and be like, pour into me. You know? Meet them at least halfway. Right? Go to them, work around their schedule, pay for coffee, babysit their kids. And don't go to someone and be like, I'm going to make you my disciple. You know? <laughs> Bro, relax, you're not Jesus, right? Just, just like the concentric circles, you start out casually and take steps toward more and more closeness. Uh, make it mutual and reciprocal. Uh, when people have asked me to mentor them, I always make sure we have a start date and an end date, just so we're clear that I'm functioning in a specific role for a specific time. I found that to be helpful. And the ultimate goal of all of this is to help you form all kinds of relationships where people are able to find belonging and connection. Why? Because that's how God heals and transforms us through relationships. Now, I'm just here in an interim role, so I don't get a say in what happens here long term, uh, but my encouragement to you as a congregation would be to dream big and think long term about what kind of community you want to build here. This is Boston, so there's always going to be people coming and going every year. That's just a reality. But might this become the kind of spiritual family that makes it possible to stay, to make a life here with others, and create long-lasting family bonds? One thing about family is that it can be inconvenient. That's what family is. Having a family has severely limited my freedom and autonomy. But that's just the cost of having people you love and who love you back. It's worth it. So I'm hoping to inspire you to dream of a different kind of life, a kind of vision for this church and for your life that might be different from the prevailing narrative of transience and individualism that we're surrounded by. I've shared a lot with you today, but I'm hoping you heard something that sounded like an invitation from God to do something about your relationships. What kind of relationship do you need to work on? Is there someone in your life right now that you feel led to give more time and attention to, to invest in more? Maybe you feel lonely. Perhaps you might ask God to bring the right people into your life. Or perhaps those people are already in your life. And you just need to take a step closer in relationship with them. As a church, imagine if we developed and cultivated a, a culture of healthy relationships. Where we all did the work of learning how to give and receive love. What would it look like for this to become a spiritual family that does relationships well, where everyone can find a place to belong? 
I want to invite us to use our imaginations around those questions. As the band comes up, I, I want to give us just a few moments to reflect uh, on where God might be calling us to grow in our relationships. And here's my ask. Would you commit to at least one action step you can take this week to respond to God's invitation to you? Let's take a few moments in prayer or you know, journal in your, on your device or if you have a, a notebook, and then we'll continue our worship in a few moments.